Hey, 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 guys, it is Allison. I am the host of your show, Allison Answers Mission Awake. I cannot wait to sit down with you today and go over how we are going to crush the mediocrity in your life that has been plaguing our society since the beginning of time. I cannot wait to have a real deal conversation that includes intelligence, fun, excitement, and real actionable steps to make a real difference in the life that you're living now and making it into something you can be damn proud of and excited to live. Sit down, put on your damn seatbelt, and get ready for the ride of your life. Hey guys, how are you? My guest today on Allison Answers, the podcast, is Mark St. John. And he is a unique and special guest and very unique and special to me personally. Mark St. John is a man who has an incredible story of how he lives with and has overcome in different ways post-traumatic stress disorder from a lot of life trauma, from being a person who is out there and uh, as a police officer and as a um a military person and someone who has different scrapes with life where he has overcome making the decision not to die by suicide, making the decision not to commit violent acts, making the decision to help other human beings. He is a person who behind the scenes makes a difference. And the story that we're going to tell today is about how he reached out as a stranger and made a decision to help me. And in his helping me, he literally saved me and my family's life. His decision to reach out in the middle of the night to someone who did not know where to go, who was in complete despair, and as a stranger, take the risk to say, I understand what you just experienced. Will you let me help you? And what he did was he spent days and he has continued to be a friend from another country who did not have to help me, who could have just remained anonymous and said, oh, I relate to that. That sucks. But he didn't. He traversed, you know, the land and reached out and um, shared his own story and spoke for my husband who himself died by suicide. He spoke the words so that I would understand how someone could get to that point. And he walked me through some of the hardest moments and nights of my life, him and his wife, who was incredibly on the sidelines as very understanding person. As I cried through our discussions And I am honored to have him as a guest. And I ask that you take the time to listen to him, a man who continues to daily work through the struggles of his own trauma and always seeing other people who he also can be of help to. And he cares so deeply. Him and I want to partner up to really help um, first responders, uh, vets, People who even who had had a long history of things, but seemed to be okay. And that was part of my story too, that uh, my uh, husband 
was a very, very wonderful and together man who had experienced 21 years in the military and different experiences throughout his life that at one point all culminated. And the understanding that something like that can really, really unravel so quickly, I really didn't even know that until I experienced it firsthand. But it's not the person's fault. And it's something that if you understand the mind, you know, the suicide mind or the mind of someone who is just experiencing even just moments of no hope, what that's like for a person, I have felt it. And unless you've really felt it, it's hard to explain how you could get to a point where you would even consider such a thing. And it is not an issue of the person not loving others. It's not an issue of really anyone else causing it. It's an internal mind struggle that almost feels like something else has taken over for that brief time. So Mark St. John is a man among men. I He is my hero and he is not known all over the world or social media, but he is a person who in his humble and sweet way is out there to help others. And I, I ask that you would share this episode with anyone who has experienced suicide of a family member or someone they love or someone who struggles with any PTSD or someone who has had those experiences, who is on the front lines and who is able to manage their emotions and who has the ability to do that very often we do not realize that people who are in those situations, people in the military have learned to split off from their emotional state in order to stay, stay safe, in order to continue to do the work that they're doing. And when they, they're having a lot of stored emotional, um, buried alive feelings that they may not even be aware of. It is very important that if you even know anyone who is in any of the, um, rescue or helping fields, firemen, police officers, uh, vets, uh, even if it's been many, many years or someone who's experienced childhood trauma or, you know, a physical trauma. It, I ask that you share this with them because we want to make a difference to family members and to the person who's actually there. And I can tell you that I have watched my mind go into a place where I could have, if I allowed it, I could have gone that far because I watched my mind have an, an eclipse go over it where there I could not see any other better option. And I've had several people on this show who have also shared that same feeling. And there was like a moment that pulled them out of it. Mark will also share that kind of a story with you today. So thank you so much for being here. And I honor you listening and taking the time to do that. Um, also, I just want to throw out there that I do have a book that the proceeds go to the, the protection and safety and rescuing of um, sex traffickers of children to to not to rescue the traffickers, <laughs> to rescue the children of traffickers. And I have a mission that I would like to stop child pornography. So um, 
If you would be so kind as to purchase my book, it's there to help people to move through their emotional struggles and to overcome childhood trauma or the thoughts that we continue to repeat, the lives we continue to repeat that we don't even realize that we're living in an automated state. And so this book speaks to the young girl with an eating disorder who doesn't see a way out. This book speaks to the person who's in a horrifying relationship and doesn't know how to get out. This book speaks to the person who just continues to think of themselves as less than. It has a work workbook in it where you can write it throughout the book. It asks questions. It helps you go through the thoughts that you think the most, the feelings that you feel the most, and the core beliefs that are driving all of that. Because we become addicted to the feelings that we have felt the most. We actually go through a chemical withdrawal when we stop feeling negative feelings. We also have to understand that our thoughts are on a thought loop. And 91% of the thoughts that we thought today are the same thoughts we thought yesterday. And there is a way to transform your thinking. And I give a step-by-step tactical guide with the stories of my life of how to do that. Because we develop belief systems that will literally drive the rest of our lives. So I ask that if you would consider purchasing the wake-up call, uh, you can get it at thewakeupcall.net. It's a, it's a website that I have dedicated to that. And every, any, any money, any profit that comes from that book goes to, um, a, uh, it's called the underground railroad. I think I forgot the name of it, but it will be in the notes for today. It's, uh, men and women who go and rescue these people who are basically prisoners, sexual prisoners. They're incredible people. And I, I want to support that cause. So, uh, without any further ado, my beautiful, beautiful friend, Mark St. John. Hey, 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 guys. How are you today? I uh, introduced my dear friend, Mark St. John. And as I just explained, the reason that Mark is here is because of the type of man that he is and the way that he has utilized his trauma and his struggles in his life, the way that he is humbly able to reach out to me personally to help me through the darkest hours and moments of my life when he didn't have to do it. He didn't know me. He didn't, but he hurt. He knew me and he knew my late husband because we were him and his wife. So he understood us in a way that probably no one really could. And he made the, um, the, just the bold and courageous step to reach out to a stranger who was hurting. And he really, really, in so many ways saved my life because he spoke for my husband to me because he understood what it was like to be in that type of a mind. So without any further ado, this is my forever friend, Mark St. John. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yes, I'm so happy to have you. Would you mind just telling the listeners your backstory? You know, it's pretty extensive and it, I and it's painful. <laughs> yeah. It's painful, but you also, I believe, have a mission in regard to that, right? Yeah, definitely. And uh, there's obviously been 
struggles throughout, but I worked as a police officer in Canada and uh, for about 13 years now. Uh, I've been off for a few years with PTSD and was diagnosed with PTSD in 2012 and took a period of a few months off and didn't really, because of the stigma surrounding PTSD in the environment, as you know, with military and police and fire and paramedics, not to leave anybody, dispatchers, anybody, nurses, whoever, um, you know, is affected by these things through all the trauma we see and, and all the terrible things we see. Um, I didn't, I rushed back to get to work because I didn't want people knowing. And uh, it was supposed to be a big secret. And of course, the it's never a secret. So as soon as you go off, it, it does get out. And unfortunately for me, it ended up being a career limiting or a career ending move to get the help. But I don't regret it. At all. Do you mean? Do you mean that you you um, shared what you were experiencing? Is that what you mean that it got out? I did. Yeah, mm-hmm. I shared what I was experiencing with the doctor, and the doctor said they had, that it put me off and uh, put me off of work because I wasn't sleeping and I was starting to drink quite a bit actually. And just thinking back, yeah. So I went to the doctor. She said, "I have to tell your sergeant, but nobody else will know." And then I came to find out, sure enough, the first coffee that he went for with all the rest of them, boom, it was exposed every day that I was off. And then I was experiencing PTSD symptoms and so on and so forth. Even though it's a big force, it's like one of the biggest police forces in Canada. The word travels so fast through, and it's like rumor mills. It's, it's like a like a high school there or something kind of thing. And 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 of course, then everybody knows. And uh didn't I was they embarrassed, respect to it? be honest. Yeah. I was, I was yeah. embarrassed. Yeah. Um, some respected it. Mm-hmm. There was definitely some. I think the culture is definitely, it's changing, but there's still a lot of the old boys club mentality where suck it up, you know, and, and yes. uh, so, because, you know, now what I think is that it takes, and I have had a, a good friend through the police department that's been there. He's part of our peer support team and, and we became very close. And, you know, I think from his help and just seeing over the years, I've realized that coming forward, no matter what it does to your career, it's actually a sign of great strength, not weakness. But I felt like in the beginning, how, why is this happening to me? I'm, I never thought it would happen to me because I was stronger than that. I was, you know, I just yes. was that guy. Yes. Always thought I went to the gym, and I was like, just because you think your muscles are physically strong. <laughs> and and uh, and it took me the longest time to to uh, you know to realize just because these things got you, it doesn't make you weak. But you're like, how come other people have experienced bad stuff and it didn't get them yet? Yes, yes, but, yes. You know, you come to realize it's affecting probably all of them in different ways and some of them are not going to come forward because it's just yes. too hard there i have like thoughts about this that i just wanted to ask yeah, you about because absolutely. there's this is how i'm thinking about it is that ptsd and i'm i'm going to ask you to share what the symptoms are in a minute but the the whole concept of ptsd and people who are in the military police officers first responders fire <clears throat> all of those people 
a lot of them are trained, especially the military. I think the police too, you can correct anything I'm saying, but I feel like in order to survive those environments, you have to split off from your emotions in order to be able to show up, fight in the street, whatever you have to do to protect people, to be in very bad situations. So you have that experience happening. Then at the same time, you have, so then you have to bury that stuff. Then you have to go live a normal, softer life, maybe with your family. And then there's this kind of attempt to live a normal attempt. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So it's not possible to be switching back and forth. Right. So then what I think about, then you have this, this group of, you know, group think where anybody who sees your, your perceived weakness or the vulnerability, the pain is going to feel threatened because then what is it? I have to hold my pain back. So it's like this emotion, like buried alive emotion that eventually, no matter what you push a ball under the water long enough, it's coming up. Mm -hmm. So now my question with all of that in mind, so I'm thinking like, this is like a larger issue like we've discussed, like how do we help people in this situation, be able to freely have a conversation about What's ha- what just happened without being afraid that they're weak, but also being out, yeah. able to go out there and kick ass, like fight yeah. in the street like a wild man, but still be able, <laughs> because I think that's strength, to be able to talk about how much yeah. it sucked. Yeah. So now, oh, and I'm going to say one other thing, then I'm going to let you just go. So this other <laughs> thing is like, I was just asked to speak at, in Washington, D.C. in like June, the, this mental health um uh, um, like American mental health thing. So basically yeah. they want to talk about the trends in mental health. And I feel like mental health has been in this long-term experience. Like when people were younger years ago, um, the, you know, children should be seen and not heard. So it's yeah. like that kind of mentality has is how mental health has been also. It's a secret, you know, all the, whatever. Stigma, so, yeah, it's generational. How, yes. Sure. So then this is, so I'm asking you this, how <clears throat> we want to help people who are actively protecting us, you know, protecting our country, our, our communities, all of that. Like, I think you and I are on the same page. You are a voice. And I think your struggle with being a voice is that you say shit that people don't, they don't want to hear. Honestly, Mark, yeah, yeah. isn't that true? So now you said shit that I needed to hear because I was in the dark place. But what about people who are not yet there? So now my question, let me just say, do you, how would you describe post-traumatic stress disorder? How, like just in your raw, like explanation, and then how did you end up in a place where you had a gun in your mouth? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like to describe PTSD where I was, you know, at first, obviously I didn't have any idea what was happening to me. Yep. I just, I, I thought I was cracking up <laughs> a little yes. bit. I had seen and been to, you know, some nights you're going to, there's night I can specifically remember, you know, all I did all night was go to dead people. So five, six suicides, you know. Actually, there was four suicides, a homicide, and uh, and a, a lady who died on the toilet. She was like eighty something years old. We found her there, but th- th- that's a whole night of death, literally just death. And uh, 
you know, weird things like when we went into these places, though, obviously there's a smell of, uh, when you die, it's, it, it smells bad. So we were, uh, my partner and I were, took all of our clothes off at the end of the night. Cause we were like, geez, it stinks. Like, so, uh, the next day we came back and we had thrown our uniforms in the garbage and, uh, there's a big bucket where you can throw your uniforms and they'll take them, get rid of them for you. So, uh, we had thrown those uniforms in the garbage and we got in the truck, the van the next day and we're driving around. I was like, geez, Ryan, like, did you, I thought you threw your uniform out cause I could smell dead person. And, uh, he's like, yeah, it's like, maybe it's on our jackets or whatever. Yeah. So we took our jackets and we put them in the back where we couldn't yeah. smell them, but we couldn't shake the smell of, uh, of dead person. And, uh, but it wasn't anywhere. It was in our nose, you know what I mean? Yes. These are the kind yes. of strange things that happen. Sorry to get sidetracked there, but just this story of like what we no, go that's through. And real. See. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me is, is, uh, I went to uh, a child in a hot tub and anyways, we tried to save the child and couldn't. And I spent the night in the hospital uh, with the, it was just a toddler, 16 month old little boy. And uh, I left, I stayed my whole shift. I would get off at 3.30 in the morning and left the children's hospital. And I went home, ended up sitting in my chair. I was single at the time and drank a couple bottles of wine. I think three or four and woke up in the chair the next day and had to go to work again. So went back to work and that, that set of shifts. I even had a ride along that night actually. And I went to a big fire. I ended up working overtime to 11 or 12. That was my last night shift. And then I or last overnight. And then I uh, came to a four set of four days off. And I was a couple of days into that when I woke up in the middle of the night, just absolutely drenched soaked like my whole upper body and, and uh my sheets were soaked more sweat was beating off down my arms and heart was racing and woke up from a like a dead sleep and i thought i was dying i thought oh I, was, I must be having a heart attack and uh and i was so wet i remember feeling my sheets and, and literally i was like geez did i pee the bed like i, st- I literally thought where did all this water come so when i checked my so I just was patting myself and I was like, geez, I'm only sweating from the waist up. Like literally it was like a line. And, and, uh, so I was like, okay, it's not bad. And then I was able to talk to myself and be like, okay, I'm not having any chest pains. I'm not having any arm pains and there's nothing else going on here except I'm like, feel like I'm running a, a marathon <laughs> with my breath. And, uh, so I was able to slow it down and get a shower and calm myself down. But that was kind of the first indication to me that I was like, something's not right. And then I started drinking more and i was not a huge drinker but i started drinking more because i noticed when i drank i didn't feel those feelings anymore yes and yes. uh that became kind of a, a you know it just spiraling for probably six eight months that i yeah i kept doing that kind of self-medicating i guess you know as people would say uh, did you connect it to the the trauma or you just didn't know what was wrong I didn't really know what the heck was going on. The little guy had passed away. I found on my, my next shift back and it really bothered me. And, uh, you had told like me could, more about that story. That was really, yeah. really traumatizing yeah. actually. You oh, know? Yeah. Like I yeah. said, right now I can see him with all the tubes in him and machines mm. breathing for him. And I sat there all night and talked to the poor little guy, but he did pass the next day. So it was, uh, it was a tough one. 
and uh, with all of the other things, I guess, yes. you know, it's not the it's not necessarily sometimes the one. That one was just the one where everything yes. kind of erupted. Yeah. So I went off for the four months, like I had said, and then I went back to work and uh, just continued to keep going and pushing through and suck it up. So you might yeah. say, right? And uh, I came to the end, and I before I'd went off. And I just, I was struggling to get out of bed and function. And now another couple of years, well, four years probably had gone by. That was 2012, 16. Yeah. So another four years of going through all this stuff and seeing more and responding to stuff. And it, it's like you said, you know, you become a different person. So when I would go to work, I would be hardened and cold and you have to do it. So yes. when I got to work, work, work was working. Yes. You would be cold and you would even finish your shift before you'd really have any emotion. And then you could try to go home and forget about it. But right. You know, some of those things you can't forget about. And so I went for four more years and then I just said, I, I can't, I was just hating my life. I was hating my job. I dreaded every morning I had to get out of bed. Yeah. Some days I couldn't cause I couldn't breathe. So I continued just to keep working, of course, because I didn't want yeah. to go back to the stigma, yeah. <clears throat> which is the problem. So a lot of us suffer in silence yes. and and that's the worst possible thing you could do. Mm-hmm. But I did it. I did it as long, you know, as same with most. And finally I said, you know, this is, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go crazy. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Did you <laughs> the, feel like between, you were going crazy? I did. My mind, it, it would spin and spin and spin. And uh, what would it be you know, doing, I, that mind? What would be happening inside your mind? You know, some days it would go from like just sheer anger to sadness and, and back and forth and, and blaming others. And, yeah. you know, why why did this happen to me? And, and, yeah. and as fast as I can say these things, that's what your mind's doing. And, it, and it's literally swirling, swirling. And you can't slow it down. Yeah. So the simplest tasks become mountains to try to accomplish. Yes. And you know, my fitness suffered. I couldn't get into the gym. And then when I go to the gym and walk, I, I would have a panic attack. I couldn't run no more. Yeah. I, I found like three or four people dead mowing their lawn. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I pay somebody to mow their lawn. I yes. don't like mowing my lawn yes. and because as soon as I turn that lawnmower on and I start walking, I can hear my heartbeat in my ears yes. and my mind is telling me you're going to die if you keep mowing this lawn. Yes. And I know yes. that's not the case, right? Yes. But I can't convince myself. I've managed to uh, <clears throat> find little ways where I wanted to work through it. So I'd mm-hmm. put music on and, and put my headphones in to mow the lawn so that I could stop hearing the heartbeat. And, you know, yes. you find ways around stuff, but you don't necessarily... Sometimes you're not dealing with the issue. You're yeah. just trying to find band-aids and mm-hmm. was, you know, I'll it say was super Mark, challenging. Yeah. I you know, just to piggyback on that, what you're saying right there, your description, you know, when you say that you found people dead mowing their lawn, what it's so important, I think, people to understand. Because when you're saying like you felt it like you were crazy, but you didn't understand like the reason. And that I know my husband told me, he said, I feel like I'm losing my mind losing and I don't know mind. what to yeah. do. And I'm so afraid. He was like, I am so afraid, Terrified. but I don't know what it is. So then yeah. 
Yeah, we would really talk a lot. We were very good friends. So the thing, the thing that stands out to me is that when you describe you find you when you find that dead body, immediately what happens in that moment is our brain immediately couples things together. So the you know what fires together wires together. So death yeah. and the lawnmower were wired together for you, right? Yeah. You know, so many things. A 16-month-old boy could be wired together with trauma in your mind. It doesn't have to be that. It could be the hot tub. It could be whatever. So if you have a sit when you get to a point in your life and you have a 16-month-old, they want to swim or whatever, yeah. you know. And these are all things that are just yeah. and the more yeah. and more triggers, whatever is attached to the trauma becomes also a trauma, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, so, uh, it, it's similar lately, like you say, the smell. And then after a while, we would use like Vicks vapor rub in your nose to, uh, so we didn't have to smell the smell. But then for me, now Vicks vapor rub is uh, attached to the death. <laughs> like, yes, you know what I mean? So it, yes. I replaced Vicks vapor rubs. No, I mean, it, I don't mean to laugh. Sometimes I laugh. I think. No, I understand. You know, to, uh, to deflect how you know how it feels, but mm-hmm. you know, Vicks vapor rub obviously smelled better than than uh, a and person yeah. who's passed, who passed away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, these things that we're talking about, it may not seem like a lot to you or me, but somebody who's out there listening who feels crazy, someone who who's yeah. out there listening whose you know spouse or friend is living day to day experiences like you had, and then is just acting normally. We don't notice that, you know, in my situation, my husband was so normal. He, he, he never seemed like he was scared of anything. He was funny. He was good natured. I'd be like, don't you have like any PTSD? He'd be like, I don't know. Like, not really. Whatever. And then just, it just overtook him such a long, long time later that it was so confusing, you know? So it was times to myself, I said like, Similar, just reminding me of like what yeah. he had said. I, I, I don't know. There's you know, some things that you, I would think, geez, that should really bother me. And it doesn't. And then others yeah. that I'm like, not sure why. There was times I even literally doubted having it, even though I'd been diagnosed with it. Yeah. I'd, I'd go in and I saw two different doctors and uh, I was like, you know, sometimes I'm like, not sure. And I'm like, I feel like, do I really have it or am I? Should I just be sucking this up? Like, why can't I get past this? Like, I mm-hmm. should just suck it up, move on. And I try to tell myself that. And of course, my doctors are like, well, you've got pretty severe PTSD. <laughs> like, yeah. we believe that you have it. Like, And I was like, sometimes I feel like, yeah, just like a, maybe I don't have it. Yeah. Maybe I just am just being a little bitch for back, lack of a better terms and I can't suck it up. And, uh, there was a period in time where I felt that way. So 2016, I went back off work. And 2017 is where things went dark for me. Um, drinking pretty heavy. Just detached from everything. Yeah, I used to, you know, I really loved working out and getting into the gym was a struggle. Um, I loved playing golf in the summer. I didn't even want to go anymore. All the things that I found enjoyment in, I was losing the enjoyment in that. Yeah. Uh, really detached from my wife. Um, and I finally, yeah, I was, I was 
going to kill myself and I had had enough. And I think like from all the stories I heard and people I know, um, like we said, your mind is, 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 is the biggest, it just won't stop. And yeah. It just spins and spins and spins. And even when you're sitting in a chair trying to watch a movie with your wife, you're not, you're not there. And, yeah. uh, things like I couldn't go, I went to the store before and I went to come home and I didn't know where I was anymore. Yes. And that's terrifying. Yeah. Um, I knew where I was. I could picture where my house is, but I couldn't connect the dots and I yes. had to use the GPS to find my house. Yes. So terrifying. I thought, yes. oh, oh, this is, must be the end. My brain is done. And, yes. uh, you know, that happened to me on several occasions. So 2017, I decided that I was going to kill myself. And I had decided for a couple of weeks that, uh, that it was coming. And I would, I think I feel relieved to you, but did you feel relief? That's where I was going. Uh, yeah. literally, I think I might've said this to you before, but it was the most peaceful two weeks I've ever had since this whole thing began. Yeah. And it just knowing it was over. And while I was doing the things, uh, with my wife and I was trying to, to see people because I knew in my head that that was be probably the last time I saw them. So I was kind of going around and doing my farewell tour, I guess, for lack of a better term. And, uh, and, you know, saying goodbye to everybody without let, without them knowing I was saying goodbye. And all this time again, I, you know, I never spoke a word to anybody because the last thing I wanted was somebody to stop me. And, uh, I was in my room and I looked down, I, was, I had the gun, I was ready to go. And I was going to shoot myself in the head, uh, in my mouth, gun in my mouth. And I just looked at the clock and, and it said 2.38. And I thought, whoa, my daughter's off school at three. And then my wife, it wasn't my wife at the time, but <laughs> she, uh, she was going to come home. And, and I thought, you know, one of these, for some reason, that clock is what stopped me. Yes. And it just gave me enough time to think one of these two is going to find me. and this is why I'm where I am. I would be leaving them with the same kind of trauma and stuff that I had. And I just couldn't bear the thought of, of leaving that way. Uh, so I decided that I was going to do it somewhere else, just drive outside the city or, you know, in a, in a wooded area and that I would do it there where they would, uh, I wouldn't have to find me. And, uh, the next, day or two days later i think it was the next day to be honest um i was out with my wife for uh we went to get some food down the road at a restaurant and while i was there i had a phone call that said my best friend had killed himself and uh again uh that he probably is the reason that i'm still here one of the reasons my wife is another one but uh i decided i would wait and go to his funeral and do all of these things. And, and it was quite a, just a, it was like watching your own funeral. So I was watching his wife and his, and his son. And it was pretty, uh, yeah, just a crazy feeling to be there and just to watch it. And after all that, watching what they went through, even though I felt like everybody would be better off without me, 
I realized through his funeral and watching, because that's what he even said in his note that everybody would be better off without him. And it, and it's easy to feel that way because I felt that way because you feel like such a burden. Yes. And I'm sure, you know, CJ felt the same way because yeah. you feel like you're just, <clears throat> you're just spiraling. And then, you know, um, all of us who, who do the job, do the military, do the police, do the fire and all so on and so forth. Um, you know, people say, oh, you know, they're the heroes and stuff like that. And I know I said this to you before, but our spouses, you know, don't get enough credit and they truly are heroes for helping, you know, us along the way and trying to get us, keeping us alive a lot of times. Right. And my wife, you know, she does some things, you know, she, she can see when I'm, I'm lost. I leave the house to go to the mall and I don't know where we're going anymore. And she'll do simple things like, so when we get to the mall, hon, I would like to go to this store first. And because she can see me spinning and I'm like, I don't know where to go. So it gets really frustrating. And yes, you leave the house within two, three minutes. You don't know why you left the house anymore. Yes. Yes. So those things, those things still actually happen to me, unfortunately, but yes. I'm, I'm getting better at dealing with it. And she's getting better at seeing it. Like I'm sure you, yeah. you know, you were the same. You, you, you could see something coming because you're just there every day, day in and day out. And you can see when the wheels are spinning and when, <laughs> when the, yeah. the wheels are always spinning for somebody like us, unfortunately, but. You know, what's interesting about that, Mark, like I, um, it was such a sudden, like a really quick onset with him that he, it, he yeah. deteriorated so quickly that it was like spinning. It was hard to figure out. And we were reading about PTSD together. He was like, this is definitely it. This is definitely what it is. I feel it. I don't know why. And, you know, but one of the things I, I did notice, and when you're saying it, now, as a separate person, you know, a therapist, I know that when someone is in terror, when someone is in high stress mode, basically, that's like the, the brain wave is like high beta. What happens to our brain is that the top of our brain disconnects basically from the bottom. And it's like, yeah. so that's why the only thing that the person can do is survive. So they're in complete survival yeah. mode. So if you have PTSD and you go into that neurologically, what happens is you don't, all you have to do is, is fight or flight, run, hide, not find your way to the mall because you're no, going to exactly. die. You're going to yeah. die. So your whole body is in a survival mode. So you're not going to know where you are. You're no. So I noticed with CJ, he would like, he would be like, not remember things all of a sudden he'd be, I would tell him something and he would immediately forget it. And this was just like only a month before he died or maybe it was two. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, do you know, do you remember what I said? He's like, and then he would pretend he remembered, but I knew he yeah, didn't. I've done that. I've done that Are you too. doing that. And I have zero. I still do. Yeah. Cause sometimes I'm, I do get embarrassed. Sometimes I'm like, oh. and you know, my, in my mind, I'm like, why the hell can't you remember something so yeah. simple? Like, uh, and a date for a doctor's appointment. Like I have to yes. write them all on a planner and stuff because there's no way. And my doctors even send me a text message the, the day before yeah. and the morning of because they know there's some days, you know, some, I, I was thinking this morning, you know, when, uh, and I was like, you know, how is the, you know, a way to describe, you know, a, a day for me? Um, obviously, I don't work anymore. A good day for me is when I could get to the gym 
I like to walk in the summer. Calgary is like seriously freezing cold a lot in the winter. So yeah. I don't like to walk outside, but I have a treadmill. I like mm-hmm. to go to the gym. So if I, a winning day for me would be to get a workout in and to leave my house. I don't like to leave my house. You know, I, I still sometimes feel like people are following me or yes. you know, I have those weird yes. things. Um, and when so I feel leave like you're house, in danger, right? Is that what it is? It uh, feels you know, like hypervigilance, like yes. crazy, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. everywhere I go, if I was to go to a movie with my wife, I'm looking for, I look at the exits. I look at where we could get to the fastest. Where could I hide her? Yes. while I try to defend. Yeah. Or, you know, so it, simple things like going to a movie becomes all of a sudden this crazy plan where yes. you think that somebody's going to try to kill you. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> And I guess until you have people trying to kill you all the time, I guess you don't think about it, but right. it's, uh, yeah, it's challenging. And just to go out sometimes causes great, great anxiety. Uh, we were going on Christmas Eve, we were, had to go to a grocery store and, um, you know, like I, I'm far from, I guess, I don't know if I would say a success story, but I, I, I managed to live. I survived. So I got through that. But I struggle daily. And so a day in my life is like some days I win, some days PTSD wins. Yeah. It, it does happen. But if I can make it so that I win more days than it does in a week, I feel like it was a good week, right? Yeah, that's and, cool. Uh, but literally going to the grocery store, I started sweating, shaking. And mm-hmm. uh, she was holding my hand. And she's like, it's okay. Stop shaking. Like, What's going on? And I was like, I don't know. I yes. just all of a sudden felt this... Mm-hmm like something bad was going to happen yes so she said no you don't have to come in with me like just stay in the car mm-hmm. and i was like mm, i wanted to go in yeah. and uh and then in my head i was thinking because if something bad happens i have to be there to make sure that yeah. i can look after her, her yes. and look after percent right because you're a protector but, mm-hmm. yeah so i i literally was like like oh no i gotta go and i so i forced myself to go in and the first probably 10 or 15 minutes in there was horrible. I felt yes. like I was going to die, but I, I, I managed to, to breathe and just try to look around. And, you know, I did the same thing, look for threats. <laughs> like yeah. It's crazy. You go to the grocery store and, yeah. and you're, but, but I think like, yeah, it's hard to, like we said earlier, it's hard to separate. Uh, I'm in danger at work to, and I haven't been, I haven't worked in close to five years now. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, it just doesn't go away. The feeling, you know, or the feeling that something's creeping up behind you. You know, those kind of weird spidey senses stuff. Yes, right? this is the thing. Like, I feel like you having a voice and saying this to people, right out here, and saying it. You're saying the thing that is in complete opposition to what you know. People who are out there protecting other people are taught. They're taught that that's you know, like what you're saying, weak or whatever it is. Weak. But, it's weak, yeah. Yeah. Think about it, though. You know, when what uh, my friend, Kayla, she's a woman who lost her husband to suicide. He died by suicide. Mm-hmm. But she wrote a book um, called Fear Gone Wild. And she talks about the suicide mind that it that it actually doesn't it doesn't even feel like it's the person. It's something that's literally taken over. And it's it's like this experience where so it's like you don't have say so over those moments. But one of the things I feel like can help people with PTSD is that 
you know, it's it may sound silly, but neuroscience is really super helpful because when somebody's a um, you know, like a tough guy like you, honestly, <laughs> who is a protector. I don't feel like it so much, but yeah. yeah. But if you understand the basics, it's not about weakness. It's about you have a little like we have an something called the amygdala, right? And mm-hmm. that little that part of our brain is the fire alarm. So it's like I feel like police officers or anybody in that situation could understand that that is there for a person like you. So wow, there is extreme danger right now. Prepare, fight or flight or freeze, whatever it is. So that has to happen in the body. But so now the body, the amygdala sees the supermarket, right? It yeah. sends off the alarm because it believes that you're in danger. Now, if you stayed in the car, the amygdala would be like, oh, yeah, see, I'm right. It's dangerous. Yeah. He didn't go. He didn't go. <laughs> he didn't go. But now you're actually retraining your brain. When you go into that supermarket and you override an alarm that literally is telling you somebody's going to die, which is terrorizing, right? But this is one of the things that really helps people to get better, even if they do it in small increments. Because it the yeah. the amygdala now is being trained that oh this particular situation is not dangerous because nothing happened <laughs> you know yeah. he didn't yeah. run he didn't fight if you went in the yeah. supermarket and fought or if you ran it would be like yeah good I I did my job yeah. right yeah. but if you went and you didn't do any of those things which I know you didn't nope. that actually <laughs> is what you're describing a win but that right there leaving the house. Yeah almost like as an action to get better is something that actually can help someone. And I feel like this whole setup that we have for the police, like for anyone, military, they have yeah. to be trained to not be scared, right? Or to not have a reaction. I was going to say what you, you were saying about the fight or flight. And for us, I think I never had much of a flight even growing up. <laughs> it wasn't a part of me that so much, but you become trained that, you know, flight is not really one of the options. So, and I mean, it's a saying that, you know, you hear in movies, you hear people say that are involved in, you know, like you're running into a situation where everybody's running out, whether it's a burning building for firefighters or somebody shooting in a building and you're running in while everybody's running out. So running away is not necessarily an option. And then I think in life, your your flight kind of gets broken or damaged because yes. you don't know how to do it anymore yes. because you're always on you're always mm-hmm. in engage or fight mode and yes. uh and and it becomes to a point where you don't know how to retreat necessarily yes that's so important yeah. because sometimes that is a better thing to do but in your case Absolutely. not yeah. right yeah. but yeah. or maybe who knows maybe it is but you know what i wonder like Whoever, if somebody's listening, who even has somebody who doesn't seem like they have PTSD, who seems fine and normal, because honestly, my husband seemed fine and normal like forever. So th- when there's I was at that my worst. I, I probably appeared very normal to people when I was at my yeah. worst because I was holding it all in. Mm, yeah, interesting, right? And then yeah. you have so now if somebody's listening who actually is struggling and doesn't know what to do, like what would you say to them? 
Because you and I want to do something. We want, like, to me, I'm all about, let's change the way that we handle this. Because to me, the, the real strength for these badasses, these guys who are running into burning buildings, all of you guys, the real strength is being able to, you know, whatever, see a dead body, physically yeah. like be, fight for your life and then be able to go and talk to somebody about how scared you just were, but you kicked yeah. ass. Because really, if you think about, if you're really kicking someone's ass or you're fighting for your life or someone else's life, if now I'm acting like an expert, I've never had to do that. <laughs> so just don't make fun of me. But this no. is what I actually think. Yeah. I believe this just as a therapist. I believe that rage or anything like that one of the biggest driving forces is fear. I'm going to kill you so you don't kill me. So basically, I'm going to fight through that's fear. Am I wrong? No, no, 100%. Yeah. It comes down to, yeah, me or you or, and. uh, And fear could make you a violent guy right now. I don't mean you, but like, you know. Yeah. No, anybody. It can make you, you know, because you feel like you're, you're fighting for your life all the time. And um, it. You know, I think if I could say something like to anybody who's struggling or is holding it all in, you know, I just lost a friend Sunday night, oh a firefighter God. who killed himself. We we're very close. And I knew he was having a hard time. But again, I didn't know he was there. So holding it in, I knew he was having a hard time. He, he would talk about it a bit. And this is a guy, you know, a tough guy, a guy who, was a kick-ass guy in the fire department very good firefighter and his life started to fall apart and and now he's gone and i wish you know we had talked more he leaves you not knowing you know if you could have done more yeah um, but i think the biggest thing i would say you know is, is getting help is a sign of strength not weakness yes. Yeah, and people will not get the help because they do believe, like, oh, you know, it'll cut my career off, it'll limit me, I won't get promoted. And but in the big picture, like, if you're not here, you're not going to get promoted either. So it's not going to it's not just going to go away. Is I think a a thing that you know I thought for a long time. and you know you might be able to comment on this, but I a good chunk of any of the doctors I've seen, and I did see a few, uh, because not all doctors are the right fit for every person. Right. So it took me a while to find the ones that that are good with me and work with me, and and that I found some relief and I found some progress out of. So a lot of the, my things are be and why it's it, it becomes kind of deep rooted. And hard, harder to treat for somebody like yourself is because all I did was hold it in, hold it in, hold it in for years. And then, and then to try to dig it back out, you know, it, it's harder. So if you get help, um, on the, you know, the baby that passed away in the hot tub, you get help immediately yes. and deal with the emotions and the, and the, and the, and the sadness and the fear and the anger from the, the one call. Well, when you hit the next one, it's not going to pile on top yes. and pile on top until there's so many files in that folder that pff, the drawer explodes. Yes. And I didn't do that. So I think, you know, if I could reach one person who is yes. feeling that way yes. and tell them, 
tell them, please do the strong thing yes. and, and get some help early so that y- it can get better. Yes. And, and you'll, you'll be, you'll have a lot smoother path. I think if you treat it on a call by call basis, mm-hmm. rather than stack up a hundred calls on top of yourself and you feel like you're under cement or sinking in quicksand and, and, and it's, you know, you can't catch yes. your breath yes. because they're all piling up on top of you. And, and I think it's important to treat them call by call would be my, yeah. you know, and, and you can comment on that. I'm sure. Cause you're 100%, you 100%. <laughs> yeah. And it really, what it's really anything. If you think about it, Mark, it's changing just our perspective on things because uh, men and women have learned to think a certain way about it, that d- what we believe all of us about emotion, it feels like any, the longer we bury emotion, the more primitive it gets. So it feels like, you know, if I ever share this story, or if I ever share my anger, I'll kill someone. If I ever share my pain, I'll never stop crying. Or if I, yeah. if I talk about how scared I am, I'll be even more scared. And the, it's actually a complete myth because just the feeling be- feels more primitive on when it's, when it's underneath. So the thing about it is that if I would love, I swear, I would love to go to every single police department. I would love to speak to the military or whatever, just to say, like, trust me on this one. The strength you will gain by it's like literally going to the bathroom or blowing your nose. Like, like you're not going to hold in going to the bathroom, Mark. You're going to go if you just keep holding it. No, I'm embarrassed. It's weak. Or I'm not going to, I'm not going to blow my nose. Like basically emotions are supposed to be flowing through and out of us. And then, okay, next, how are you supposed to manage a trauma? If you don't, if you just make it like it didn't happen. So it's like, I feel like it's almost like I want to go to every police department and shake all of their shoulders. Yeah. You know, like yeah. guys, listen, trust True, me on but this. The mentality and the, and the, uh, I don't know if the mentality is the right word, but the, the, the general consensus in those places is that, you know, you get the, the macho testosterone type of, and you know what, and there's, I think a lot of police, especially some fire departments, um, I, I do think that what will help the switch is there. There more and more women are coming in, and oh, interesting. ego. I believe that women are better at this um, because they they don't have because the because we the, are the male ego. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, but they don't have the testosterone and the male ego. Exactly. That, you know what I mean? Because women yes. are are just better at it, and mm-hmm. I believe that there are going to be uh, a huge part in the switch. Uh, and the turning of the tides to to help people think it is okay and it's not weakness, it's strength. And and I do believe that that is going to be part of the switch, you know, over the, it's going to take a long time. We may not see it in our lives. But Don't you bite your tongue. Generational. Bite your tongue. We're <laughs> doing something. We We're, tearing something yeah, I'm tearing exactly. this shit down. I'm tearing this shit down with you, Mark. Absolutely. I'm telling you. No, I'm so in look, for that fight for sure. Yes. So listen, but yeah. I actually want to ask, tell me that you'll do, I know you're going to say yes. I just, 
I just know it. So what I want to ask is, do you think we could do a part two of this? Absolutely. Can we just Absolutely. like, because I would like to, because I don't feel like we're done and I know mm-hmm. that our time is up. So I feel like yeah. I want to talk more about like, basically one of the things that I just want to say even before we end that I don't think people actually know, but the actual experience that I had with Mark was that my husband died by suicide. So I, I haven't really actually explain this in detail. So basically he died by suicide. Mark and I are in the same um, business group, Arate. We don't know one another. We live in different countries. We hadn't known one another. There's a lot of people in there, but he found out about what happened and he got in touch with me and it was late. It was like, I think it might've even been like the next day. I'm pretty sure it was the day after. Mm -hmm. And he literally explained to me from his own perspective what his mind was like during the moments when he wanted to die by suicide. He explained to me the thinking and the experience inside and that it had and that it wasn't actually my husband but it was this takeover kind of of this mind that Absolutely. that he just needed to stop just end the 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 takeover basically of the mind and he just kept telling me because when someone dies that you love so much by choice it fe- it's it, it isn't even their choice at that point i don't even think that he had a choice no, because i don't think yeah and i've it's had a recent stop. yeah needed, needed it to, to stop. stop that's yeah. what you told me and i just needed you to keep telling me that because all i could think was what you know because when so- that happens all you can think of is all the things you could have done how could i have stopped this how did i miss that this was actually a real thing that could have happened i didn't could never even imagine that my husband would have done that even though he was having a hard time and we were talking about it never did i ever think cuz he was so strong and he would say i would never do that like we even talked he was yeah. like i would never do that so i felt very secure in that but the thing is, is that I think that he actually wasn't there in those last couple of minutes. I think that no, I something, agree. whatever, it was not him. It just wasn't him. So that, and you even, you, but my point about what happened with you is that your willingness to talk about those dark moments of yourself in your own mind are the thing that helped me and it's has helped me to understand what that kind of mind is doing. And if anyone else can hear that and they find themselves in those moments, then they m- will remember hopefully this, that it's, it's, it's fleeting those, those moments. And I'm just going to share th- This is so vulnerable. You, you're not even going to believe I'm actually saying this, but I can't <laughs> believe I'm saying it. You bring it out in me, Mark, but <laughs> literally I am not kidding you. It could have been, I'm trying to think it was a very short time. Maybe it was days or a week. So I don't even remember. I started thinking in line with like, I'd be better off not here. Yeah. I, mean, I could cry thinking about it because I started to have that plague going through my thinking and I re- it was taking over. I could feel it. And it actually yeah. felt good to think about that there was an option. 
And I literally, so I, now I don't know why God allowed that or why that happened, but I think it gave me a glimpse into a suicide mind. I've I've felt it a couple of different times in my life. I knew I had to switch quickly, but that eclipse of the mind, I could see how easily it could happen. And by having it happen in my own mind (laughs) and feel that feeling, like it was horrible, but but it was good because it helped me to to understand it more. And it also helps me understand that sense of relief that can come over you. But basically what you're doing when you do that is you take everything that you're trying to never feel or think or experience again, and you're just loading it into the people you love's lap. You're just leaving it at their feet because it's so much easier just to, you know, I'm, I remember the time when I saw your message, I, I just thought, Oh my goodness. Like, obviously I, I was there where he was and I could just through the message, I felt like I could feel your pain and uh, just wanted to reach out. And and I thought like, like I knew what you did because I had seen past messages in the group. I knew that you, uh, treated people and I thought oh my goodness like and I I'm sure we talked about it but I felt helpless when I lost friends and felt like yeah. my goodness I wish I could have done more and of course you're in that field so I thought my gosh like she's probably experiencing this and more thinking like this is what I do yeah. how could I not you know see it and but but I mean that's not on you of course like I've told you yeah. Lots of times there's nothing you could have done once you got to that point, because even though I didn't, there was nothing that was going to stop me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was just nothing and nobody knew. Yeah. It's so weird it's being in you. that field. Like what you said is it's really true. Yeah. It's so weird. Like this is what we do every day. Like we see it, Absolutely. but when you're yes. so close to someone and you like, you just, that actually makes it harder to see. People think yeah. it's easier to see. No, it's, absolutely it's not. It's harder to see because yeah. you, you're not under mostly attached. Yeah. yeah. And we talked like he would share his feelings with me. Yeah. So it wasn't like, you know, we were like really best friends, but then we would be communicating in this like really cool way. And he'd be describing what he was feeling. And then like, then he would describe like, I don't know what happens, what's happening, Allison. All of a sudden I look at you and you, you seem like almost like an enemy. But then, and I, and then I don't know what to do. And then, and then, and then it goes away and then you're Allison again. And it's just like this threat for a second. And yeah. And he's like, and he felt scared. He was scaring the crap out of him, you know? But it's so listen, we yes. totally have to wrap up and this is like the worst <laughs> okay. part to wrap up in, but, but would you, I mean, I actually want to like get you back on the call in two hours from now, because I just feel like it's so important that we talk. So would you, would you come back on? Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to. Okay. So yeah. I just want to thank you so much for being here. And um, is there anything else that you just want to say to anyone out there? No, I, I think, like I said, just to get the help and and if you if you treat things early and on a call by call basis, maybe you don't have to end up having as many struggles. You know, it's never going to be easy, and it's always going to be difficult. Getting the help, it's going to be difficult to make that decision. But if you do, you'll be that much further ahead of the game. 
Yeah. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. I adore you. Pleasure. I adore you. Thank you. I love. Bye. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the show. I just want to say to you that we are all together a part of the mission, Mission Awake, a mission that's going to stop the mediocrity that's plaguing all of us. So if you got something here today, I ask that you would be a part of this mission and you'd share it with whoever you can. Take a screenshot of the show and share it on your Instagram. If you are looking for me, you can find me on social media platform, Instagram, Allison Answers or Logger Counseling Services. And give us a, a review and subscribe, if you could, to YouTube, Allison Answers. That's where you're going to get a lot of content. I drop stuff every day, goofy stuff, all different kinds of stuff, five-minute videos that just get you moving in your day. Have a great week. See you next time.